Well, you know when uh, they say that the preacher is going to come up and share a word, there could be quite a few words. So, <clears throat> but we will make sure these words are meaningful today. Uh, have we? Okay, we're good. Everything together. What a good day it is today. What a good day it is today. I don't know what trouble you had this week, but right now, at this moment, you're sitting here, you're not laying in the hospital. I had a, a, my first pastor always said, I'd rather be here than the best hospital in the country. <laughs> you know, Ed, we're clothed in our right mind, worshiping God, and in, in this atmosphere, we are truly, truly blessed. Spiritually, you're a one percenter. Probably there's probably less than one percent of the people in the world get to enjoy the presence of God in this, this kind of environment, the safety, the skill, the fellowship. It's a wonderful thing. So we're thankful, Lord. We're just so thankful for today. Now, we are in uh, the midst of a series called The Kingdom of Heaven is Like... It's based on Matthew 13. You really need to know what we're talking about last week in order to appreciate what we're going to say this week. So I will do a bit of a review. Uh, for those that weren't here last week and for those who were here last week that have a mind like mine. I'm going to do a little review. So in, in uh, Matthew 13, uh, Jesus gives us some simple stories with powerful truths. He says near the end of that chapter in verse 44 and 45, what I'm telling you about is like a treasure hidden in the field. It's worth selling your possessions to get this. This is a treasure. Colossians 1, we talked about that. The invisible world preceding, superseding the visible world. So there is an invisible world that was created by the Lord before the visible world. And right now, the the kingdom, what we read about in Revelation and the throne room and the angels and the worship that's going on there and all the events, that's not visible to us. One day it will be. But it's becoming more and increasingly manifest, revealed here on earth. And the invisible kingdom, that is the territory that the king rules and his subjects are becoming, there's more of them every day. People are coming to the Lord Jesus. And he rules the territory. And the territory he wants to rule is your heart, your mind, your will, your emotions. One day he will come and harvest the entire earth. The, those that have, have come to know him will be taken to heaven. Those who have stubbornly refused will have no hope of eternal life. There will be a judgment. And then he will divide up the nations. And there will come a time when the nations will be ruled. It's it's hard to picture that. But we just have to know that it's all going our way. I told you last week. I read the last chapter and we win. Okay? So turn to somebody and say, you're on the winning side. Okay? Tell them that because it's really happening. But how do we see the kingdom of God today? Well, the invisible kingdom is made visible through you. Paul says it has not yet been seen, 
the glory that will be revealed through us. So somehow through us, this invisible kingdom becomes visible when Christians live like Jesus. So then we, we talked about you're not a human having a, a spiritual experience, a human being having a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual being having a human experience. And the real part of you, the part that's going to last, is not what you see in the mirror. It's, it's the kingdom of God that's growing, the imperishable seed, that seed. So Jesus talks about these simple stories of seeds and weeds. And then we went to this idea of yeast, where uh, yeast is that has a, is a uh, well, let me read it for you. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour till it worked through all the dough. And Galatians 5 talks about yeast, using it as a metaphor for, for sin or gossip, and, and it also can work itself through. Uh, but we're going to use yeast for the imperishable seed. And the whole, the whole idea here is when it's worked into us, and to the extent it's worked into our soul, into our mind, into our thinking, into our belief and our behavior, to that extent, then we rise up and we rise out. And we used the muffin as an example. I do not have a video for you. Uh, I don't know if any of you went on YouTube and tried to find that Seinfeld episode. And I do apologize if you watched the whole thing. It was not worth your time. <laughs> but that one, that one scene <laughs> with Elaine was uh, one I'll not forget. So three ways in which the kingdom of God grows. Inward, upward, outward. Say it with me. Inward, upward, outward. Now, I'm using these three words in this order because of the, the analogy and the metaphor that Jesus uses here. Uh, sometimes people go upward, inward, outward. The idea you get in touch with God first, then he works inside you. Uh, if you want to say it that way, that's fine. But what I'm talking about here is our journey with the Holy Spirit. Because if you do not have a relationship through the Holy Spirit, you just have a philosophy. Jesus said, I'm going that someone else may come. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit visited special people for special purposes at special times. But now we have a new agreement, a new covenant, an inviolable agreement sealed by the blood of Jesus where you and I get to have a born-again experience and the Holy Spirit stays on us. That's why Jesus' first message in the New Testament, which had been waited on for 700 years since Isaiah wrote it prophetically, was the Spirit of God is upon me. Resting on me because he's anointed me. First John 2, 22 to 28, when John's talking about the anointing that rests on every believer. Jesus isn't just an example we're aspiring to. He, while he was limiting himself to being inside a human body on earth, he was actually demonstrating what a human can do when the Spirit of God rests on them and they choose not to sin. Now, Jesus had all the gifts with all, all the fullness. We have a measure. We have some of the gifts and we have a measure. But together, we look like Jesus. When the people of God come together in worship and in faith, then we have all the gifts and all the measure. And 
I sure got used to going to church online, even as someone who's, you know, it's been decades in my life of church attendance and preaching, and it used to be three times a Sunday for years. And I got used to sitting at home in, my, in those soft track pants, you know. <laughs> doesn't matter how many chips I ate the night before, those track pants never make me pay for it. And just sitting there watching the service online and it was a little bit of effort to get back into being in church every Sunday. And I'm encouraging you all. I know there's reasons you may not have been able to be in the building today. But I'm encouraging you that something happens when we get together that cannot happen individually. Something happens individually that you can't just squeeze out of others when you're in the church. You need your own relationship with the Lord. I get that. But there is something that manifests, something that that comes into the room, something that becomes available. The invisible realm, if you will, seems to become more available and more open when we get together and put our faith together. And that's what Jesus meant when he said that even if two or three gathered. We usually save that scripture for when meetings, you know, nobody, hardly anybody shows up, then we pull that one out. <laughs> two or three are gathered, you know. How many times I heard people say that with a warble in their voice because they're so embarrassed at the numbers. But that's not what Jesus was trying to say. He wasn't talking about You know, it doesn't matter the size of your church. He's saying if everyone is in agreement who gathers, whether it's two or three or two or three thousand, when the agreement comes, the kingdom of God manifests. And wow. And I I want to, I'm, I'm going, I'm giving you a preview of where we're going this morning because nowhere perhaps does that happen quite like when we're experiencing the upward journey together. So quick to finish the review. We talked last week, You, the inner journey is about your spiritual and emotional health. And Philippians uh, talks about that. We talk about two sides of the coin. The sins you commit create your need for punishment under the law, but the sins that are committed against you give you pain. So everyone deserves punishment, but everyone has pain. And Jesus came not just to give us pie in the sky when we die, but steak on the plate while we wait. I apologize to the vegans ahead of time. Just doesn't have the same power when you say tofu on the plate, okay? Just doesn't get me as excited. I'm just sorry about that. But he came to bring us something here and now that will make us hungry for what's to come. And he wants to come in and transform your life and deal with the pain. And so uh, he wants to get the past out of your future. Because we're dragging it around with us. We're dragging the pain and the lies and, and the unforgiveness. We're dragging it around with us. And it's, it's slamming the door shut on the kingdom of God that wants to start working in your soul. So uh, three ways, inward, upward, outward. That's the inward review. Today we're going to go with the upward And let me catch up here on my own iPad here so I can see what I'm going to say next. All right. So the upward journey. I want to say this, okay? You know, we're all different (laughs) when it comes to muffins or breads, to keep the metaphor going here to a point of ridiculousness. We're all different. And some of us prefer the inward journey. You know, there's some that I told you about, a person who had gone to a counselor for 32 years, Christian, and I'm like, it did... (laughs) For the same issue. (laughs) Uh, But some people just love that inner journey. 
And they, they just love that, you know, they want to be Jacques Cousteau of the soul, just dive down deeper and deeper. And uh, some people say, what is that? You've got to be a certain age, okay? He used to turn on the TV on Sundays to see Jacques Cousteau. Anyways. Um, but some of us prefer the upward journey. Some of us prefer the outward journey, the reach out. It's all about souls. We've got to work. We've got to work hard for the kingdom. Yeah, and, and uh, we're, we'll talk a little bit about that later. But I know people who literally come to church late because like in, in our church service, I'm not recommending this. Different churches have different cultures. The musical worship goes on for a minimum of 30 minutes, sometimes 40 and there's a lot of guys typically they are like, well, I come a half hour late so I can get the word, you know. And uh, some just think that they got church, you know. I even hear people talk about worship as the preliminaries. Like it's like the uh, music before the movie or something, you know. Or like the shorts that are played before the, the feature film at the movie theater. It's not that way at all. And so... We need to come to grips with this and be honest that each of us will prefer one or two of these over the other, but it's all part of the same journey. And and if you never embrace the power of worship, because that's the upward journey, is your worship and prayer. And I know worship is everything. It's we worship by giving, we worship by witnessing, we worship by being silent in prayer meditation, we worship in this way and that way. But I'm going to use musical worship today as as the word for as the term for worship. We're going to talk about musical worship, and then next week we're going to talk about prayer. So I'm going to focus for two weeks on the upward journey. Because I think this church is already well engaged with the outward journey. And Pastor Chris, as he comes back with a fresh sense of vision and the MMT, the ministry management team and the board of elders, that the vision for outward will come from you because you live here and God will show you. But what the Lord has tasked me with is to remind us all to go back and look at the inward journey and the upward journey, which will automatically produce that part of the muffin, as we were saying last night, the muffin top. I made sure I ate a few this week just to keep fresh for the... For the My wife is, are, are you kidding me? You left all those stumps. I said, I'm just preparing for Sunday, honey, just preparing for Sunday. Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> and so, let's talk about that. Most of us prefer it. Like when I go to Bangladesh in those, in those uh, countries, India, Bangladesh, and uh, uh, Af- some of the countries in Africa, they love the upward journey. And, um, you know, uh, I can't dance. My body can't dance, but my mind can, you know. So they can just, they're all, they can all move, you know. And uh, I try to keep up with them. They just love that. So I did a conference once in Bangladesh and um, it was out in the rural villages. I mean, real rural. I said, where's your worship team? They said, what's that mean? They didn't know. I said, well, instruments. Oh, oh, brother, oh, we'll bring instruments. Okay. Five sets of drums, nothing else. Okay. And I don't mean drum kit like this. I mean, whatever you can bang on. And they went for it. We, we had three days, five meetings a day, full on, in the heat, and by the third day, this is what one of the drum kits looked like. 
I had to take that. They were so happy. It's hard to see. It's a bit dark, but they're like, look, we broke every one. <laughs> they just banged them and banged them and banged them. And, uh, and people say, oh, you know, it must have sound great. No, everybody was playing their own thing, you know, at the same time. It was, it was just like a roll of thunder. But they love that upward journey. And I've learned that uh, it doesn't ha- you don't have to have perfection. We don't have to have auto-tune on or whatever to, you know, for the Holy Spirit to move. I'm glad for auto-tune, especially when I'm singing. But you don't have to. They love that journey. And I hope today we are going to learn a bit about that. So what I'm going to do now is go from the obvious and the visible... And for a few moments, we're going to do a deep dive, and we're going to be like Jacques Cousteau, okay? But we're going to go into the heavenlies, we're going to go into the past, into the present, then into the future. And I'm going to have to move it. I see the time on here. But I want you to turn to, um, uh, okay, uh, we're going to go to Ezekiel 28. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to, I want you to mark it down, and I'm going to read this for you here. And um, uh, let's see here. There we go. Do you remember when Jesus talked to Peter and he, Peter had just said, you're the, you're the Christ, son of the living God? And he says, yeah, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. In other words, you were led by the Spirit. Then he says, I'm going to go to the cross. And, and Peter says, no, 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 you can't do that, Lord. You all know that one, right? And what, what did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Peter. No. Get behind me, Satan. How would you like to be, you know, in Jesus' small group and he turns to you and calls you Satan? I really feel welcome today in this group. And what was he doing? He was speaking to the spirit that was uh, animating Peter's words. So Peter didn't realize that at that moment his ideas weren't just human the enemy was trying to use his lack of understanding. So it's scriptural for, for God to address a person, but to address the spirit behind that. And so what I'm sharing with you is something I've done a deep dive on, and not everyone agrees with it, but a lot of scholars would tell you what I'm going to tell you now. And I want to offer it to you as more than food for thought, because just offer it to you to, to think about it and think what it means. So in the beginning of Ezekiel 28, and this is a prophecy against evil leaders, Ezekiel addresses the prince of Tyre. Tyre was a city near Israel. At that time, uh, wealthy, lots of trade, be like a Hong Kong of its day. And The prince of Tyre, the word there means leader, ruler, whatever. And he says, I'm judging you because you've made yourself out like a god. But then it goes to these verses. And he says, and to the king of Tyre, I have this to say. And he's already addressed the top leader. So who's the king? Well, we believe this is actually the spirit behind that man. Now Ezekiel changes channels, goes from earth to heaven, and starts speaking about what happened in the heavenlies. And he says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. 
Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper. Uh, can't read the other one. Sapphire, turquoise. I'm on an eye chart here this morning. And um, you, uh, and, and pardon me, emerald with gold, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. goes on to say, you were an anointed cherub. Let me get that one up there. You were an anointed cherub who covers. I establish you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. This we are going to say today is a description of Satan before the fall. At some point, Satan turned against God. But what the theologians would tell us here is this is a picture of Satan's role and nature before he was corrupted. And you look at this he was perfect. He was beautiful. He, all these stones reflected the light of God. In his very nature was an ability to reflect the light. Lucifer means light bearer. So he was dazzling. Dazzling. Well, we just had the 70th Jubilee, or what was it, the 70th anniversary of the Queen's reign, right? My wife watched the whole thing, every, every minute of it. But you see them come out and they're dazzling, you know, the diadem. It's like, those are all real diamonds. Wow, that sparkles. Well, Lucifer was like that. But it also says timbrels and pipes. And what some scholars have said that, like the pipes, like a pipe organ, that music was built into him. He reflected God's nature and it was reflected back in visually, but also audibly. And that he was... Possibly and probably heaven's worship leader. Now think about it when you read in Revelations chapters 4 through 11, especially 7 and 11, you'll get that, those word pictures of 10,000 times 10,000, just multitudes, millions and millions of people and beings worshiping the Lord. And at one time, Satan was the leader of that. So... He, worship was part of who he was. But then it says, as we move forward, um, oh, and by the way, I should throw this in. It says he was an anointed cherub. So he had the presence and the power of God, and he was, and it says who covers, and some it says covers the earth. He was the guardian angel over the earth, reflecting the nature of God visually and audibly, and then something happened. And if we go into Isaiah chapter 14, okay, 12 to 14, it says, 12 to 15, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. Um, Okay, and, oops, there we go. 
Because you said in your heart, and this is called the five I wills, I will ascend to heaven. I will, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned. Uh, I will um, ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead. So at some point, Satan spent too long in front of the mirror. And said, yeah, like Ted Burgundy. I look good, real good. Anybody know that one? (laughs) I look good, real good. I kind of like what I see. You know what? Every creature up here follows my lead. I'm leading worship. I'm looking after the, the earth. Like, what do I need that guy for? I'm running the whole show. And sin was birthed internally in Satan. Adam and Eve were deceived by an outside force so they could be redeemed by an outside force, Jesus. But Satan, he was corrupted on his own internally in full view of God. So there's no redemption for him. Deep theology here this morning. There's no hope for him. Because he was the source of evil. God took a huge risk, a calculated risk. That giving one being so much of his nature and beauty and responsibility could bring corruption. And it did. He knew it was going to happen. And that's why he planned to redeem himself. What a mystery. What, what an incredible story that can only be explained if God loves. Otherwise, why bother? He wants people to worship him and to be with him so intensely he was willing to allow all this to happen. So here's my point. The one who was tasked with being the guardian and the protector of earth is now, he's gone from Lucifer to Satan, which means accuser. And if you go in Job, you'll see he was still had his place in the heavenly realm, but now he's accusing everybody instead of worshiping. Completely the embodiment of evil. Jesus called him the, or Paul called him the prince of the power of darkness. Actually, Jesus did too. So from light bearer and protector to darkness and accuser. And when Jesus sent out the 70 in Luke 10, as they returned saying, wow, you gave us power. Demons were cast out and sickness were healed. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now, I usually take about a three-hour seminar to talk about the eschatology that when that happened and how that happened. But Revelation 12 actually answers it all for you. It's a very clear chapter in the middle of Revelation. It's Satan's life history, and he's a downwardly mobile dude. Okay, we'll leave it at that today. Hopefully you're catching what I'm saying. He was cast out when Jesus rose up with the keys of heaven and hell, and now worship is restored in heaven. And it even says, so rejoice, O you heavens, in Revelation 12, because the devil's cast down, so we can get on with who we're supposed to be. But woe to you, earth, because he's down there making trouble. So heaven, it's all settled. It's all done. There's worship again in heaven. But where does that leave us? That leaves us down here with the Holy Spirit. I know some of you are going, whoa, I'm, I'm just in this deep. My head's spinning right now, but stay with me. We can bring heaven to earth through our worship. 
we bring the victory that's being expressed every day, every hour around the throne because of Jesus' work and he sits there, we can bring that victory down here and it defeats the devil just by doing it. It does so many wonderful things. Think about it now. The sticking power of a song, right? I'm going to start a song from my childhood. I bet you somebody can complete it. I'm going to tell you about a man named Jed, a poor mountaineer, barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting for some food and up through the ground. There it is. I knew you'd know it. Oil, that is. Black gold, Texas tea. Well, the first thing you know. Okay, let's forget it. I can do the rest. I just can't play the banjo like they do with that one. I'd love to. Look at that. That was from 1963 or something. It's still in my head. The sticking power of a song. And it, it's made to be sticky. And, and what it does is, it, when you worship, it's, it's kind of God's, I don't know how to say it, but I, I don't want to say he's, he's tricking us because he's not, but he's, he's got this like uh, little superpower going on with worship. And he can get all us church folks to say things when we sing that we wouldn't say otherwise. You are great. Oh, God, I need you. I bow before you. You wouldn't say that normally, but in worship you do. It gets us to confess truth. Some of the great, uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing was written by Charles Wesley because he said the people in his time, 1700s, didn't know theology enough. So we would put a whole bunch of theology into a song and they'd sing it. Then they'd learn Well, we're doing that again today with the modern hymnology. Not all of it's scriptural, but most of it is pretty good. I like that. God of Mary, the lowly. That's beautiful. That that phrase, and when you sing it, yeah, you're the God of those who are nobody sees, and you're going to meet them in the private place. Wow. All of a sudden, I'm thinking about the Lord in ways I wasn't when I came in here this morning. And so what we've got here, um, there's a problem, though, because we've... We've got so good up here, we kind of come in and we watch. Or we watch online while we're doing the dishes and making dinner and we're watching the, the service. And, and I get that and I've done that. But there, we've missed out the kingdom part unless we come in or online, you give your attention and you open your mouth and make sounds. And when you do, you are participating, you are confessing, you know, that the the truths and the kingdom realities become real. And there is something about gathering and opening our mouths. I must admit, and and some of you will say this too, okay? Now I'm going to sit down and get up my cane and say, in the old days, when I was your age... (laughs) But when I first became a Christian, not knowing anything, I was just 15 years old, I got, I got saved uh, through a brethren Bible camp. And these uh, brethren folks, they didn't have instruments in their, in their uh, church, but they all sang in four-part harmony. And they would just, somebody would call out a number, and then they'd just, and they'd go in four. There's something beautiful when voices harmonize like that. And as a 15-year-old that was into Alice Cooper, the who, I come in to church. They didn't have to contextualize it for me. They didn't have to make it secret friendly. They just had to open their mouths in true worship. And I went, wow, there's something in that. 
And I'd go home and listen to my crazy nonsense until I finally realized I had to give it up. But I'll tell you, just good old church worship with people harmonizing. The presence of God came on that, and it did something for me. And so in the place of worship, things happen that can't happen anywhere else. And we have to watch because worship originally got corrupted when somebody listened to themselves and looked at themselves and thought, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Think about it. Who do we worship the most in in our culture? American Idol isn't somebody who's got the best computer program. Isn't somebody who's the best plumber. It's about entertainment and music. We even call them idols because we can worship them. And someone said every time music is played, something's worshipped. And I think a lot of the stars out there today are, are worship leaders who miss their call. And they just didn't follow Jesus. People like Katy Perry, who grew up in a Christian home. Justin Bieber, I prayed for him for years. Many did. Because we have friends of mutual friends. And comes from Stratford, as many of you know. And when he was 14, my daughter was at a youth conference. And he used to come to the same conference. And... and um, my daughter was doing some uh, videoing for an announcement for an event, and she wanted young kids to come and, and say a certain thing, and Justin came up and said, I'll sing it for you. She goes, oh, sure, if you want to sing it, go ahead and sing it. So we sang the announcement instead of, of saying it, and afterwards they went, oh, Justin, that was great. You're going to be famous one day. You're going to be so famous. She got out a napkin and says, here, sign your autograph now. This was a joke, Okay. <laughs> And so, no, she doesn't have the napkin. And, uh, but uh, he was a kid going to youth conferences who liked to worship. And his mother was a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. And I, I remember thinking that this, this young man had a call. And um, so we have drop in at my son's church sometimes. And we've kind of just, I've just followed. And uh, seen him come back to the Lord and started listening to some of his Songs that have Christian words. Man, he's preaching it. Most famous teenager on earth uh, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. And there he is preaching the gospel through the, for the music. The Lord is using music to win the minds and hearts of people that wouldn't listen any other way. And it's a danger that we'll get proud of our talents and that's just a warning to worship teams, but I have I had no sense of anybody performing when we're here. It's always Jesus-focused and pointed that way. Let me finish the message. There's so much more I want to say. Uh, maybe we can review it or pick it up next Sunday. I can count um, on two hands um, the number of times, but it's more than two or three, where in a service the glory of God manifests. And I think of musical worship this way. Somebody gets up there and says, let's all stand now. It used to be, let's sing number 32, verses 1, 3, and 5, you know? You know how there were some verses that were more anointed than others? Like, well, you made a mistake on verse 2. Let's always sing 1 and 3. I don't know why it was, but we never could just sing the verses of a hymn. But we start, and it takes effort. And to me, that's like, like the eagle jumps off the perch 
and, and, and there's some work of flapping the wings, and we're using our soul, we're using our mouth, and we may feel tired that day, and, oh, I don't feel like singing right now, I don't, I don't even want to stand up, and perfect, perfect timing for there, Leah, and uh, somebody just yawned as I was preaching, so, perfect, you see, happened to be on the worship team, so, so you see, you see, there's sometimes our body's not there, but we, 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 we flap our wings. But then at, at some point, we catch the breeze. And that eagle, when it, it hits a certain jet stream, and I live 500 feet from the Niagara Escarpment, and those circular um, thermals come in the spring, and, the, and all, all those raptors and, and hawks, they just come, and they don't even have to flap their wings. They just kind of... They got them out in a circle without ever flapping because they caught the breeze. And haven't you been in a worship service where you start out tired and you end up not tired? And, and that's because as we worship, the Spirit of God is manifesting. And, and heaven, you actually have had a little top-up infusion of heaven. And it happens most powerfully in my life during musical worship. And there was one day, and I'll tell you one, I'll tell you, I'll refer to, to two. There was one day where during the worship service, I stopped to have communion. And this presence of God came so powerful, I had to go down on one knee to steady myself. I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't stand up. And I went down on one knee, and then I got the mic, and I said, Holy Spirit just told me he wants to heal cancer. I wish this could happen every month. And I said, I just know that if you have cancer, just, just ask the Lord right now. There's a lady, 75 years old. She was determined not to die until her kids were saved, until they'd come into the kingdom. She was in four-stage cancer. She just got the note. It was all through her liver, and she claimed it right there. Somebody else in the church happened to be sitting behind her who four years before had been healed in a worship service of lifelong arthritis pain. And they laid their hands on this woman, and she shook under the power of God. I didn't see it. I didn't know. I just was being obedient at the front. Went on with the service, and we're done. Nobody told me. She went to the doctor, got more x-rays on Tuesday, and there was no cancer in her liver. I wish that would happen all the time. I believe it's going to happen more often. I believe you can't explain those things with natural means. But I didn't have a healing service for cancer. We were worshiping. We also happened to be on day 18 of a 40-day fast as a church. So there was a real agreement power and a seeking of God going on. There was a prayer and worship. And heaven touches earth. Heaven comes down to earth. And when that happens, we lose our our. We lose the sense of importance of the disagreements we have. Of I wish they would sing this song instead of that song. And why can't we have this many more hymns? And why can't we do that instead of this? And I, I don't like that. We kind of lose that because in, in the sense of his glory, which means when he shows up and breaks into the physical realm, those things don't matter as much. So one last, last story, okay? So for my second conclusion, I, I get the time. And come on up, worship team, as I'm talking. I, and um, 
I see that clock. <laughs> Is there another? <laughs> That's back at about 11. <laughs> and uh, we were in the midst of a time of a real outpouring of God's presence. It's a long time ago. I'm, I'm believing God for these kinds of things happening again. I've heard of some of them recently. But in our church at that time, the Lord had challenged me. He said, if you open the doors, I'm going to bring the people. So we went for a week of meetings. Never done that in my life. Uh, the church was financially strapped at the time, so it was a stretch. And we had services every night of the week, and we were worshiping. And somewhere, I don't know what it was, Wednesday or Thursday, the presence became so strong in the meeting, I thought, i got to go up and, and take the microphone as the leader and say something, because it's getting strong. So I went to get the microphone like this, and again, the presence of God came on me, and I got wobbly. So I went down to my knees, and I'm thinking, now this, what am I doing? I'm up at the front. Well, the worship team's singing. You can start the music. And I'm on my knees facing them. And I thought, now this is dumb. I'm just drawing attention to myself. So I didn't know what to do. So I lay flat. And I'm laying there going, oh, God, I'm supposed to be leading the meeting. I am so embarrassed. I don't even want to look. What's going on here? But I know you're in the house. When I finally looked up, beside me is a visitor with a Salvation Army uniform on, and he's beside me on his face. I thought, wow, it's the first time we had a visitor do that. And I looked the other way, and there's my very prim and proper elderly father-in-law, a Lutheran minister, laying beside me. And I'm like, And I went, Dad? I didn't even know he was in the meeting. I said, Dad? And he goes, I thought you needed some company. (laughs) I'm just telling you what happened. It's not prescriptive. Just telling you what happened. And we just continued to worship. And... uh, Afterwards, the testimonies of what God did in the service was phenomenal. Some people were taken back to memories they'd had from abuse. And the Holy Spirit met them right there and Jesus showed up. Like, it was just an amazing moment. And it's because when the glory of God comes, some of the things that usually matter don't matter. And some of the things we try to do with our talking, they happen without us talking. God's that good. He's that faithful. Stand with me, please. I am very aware, because I preach in many different cultures over many years, I'm very aware that there is a something a preacher can do, and that is manipulate a moment where there's intense emotions. And I don't want to do that this morning. It's not my it's not my goal, it's not my job. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do that kind of meeting and if it never happens again this side of heaven, that's okay. But I do know that we bring heaven to earth and so many good things happen when we come together in a spirit of unity with our sins forgiven and we just give him glory.
Sometimes our prayers are answered with, without even asking. It's a wonderful thing. And you go into Revelation, it says, one day we're all going to be around the throne and I want you to look at those words. Your ultimate destination includes audible musical worship. It's not just going to be sitting around a white, white robe and a harp. That sounds boring to some of us. But it is going to be part of our destiny. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for today. We want to thank you that when your spirit creates the conditions in our heart, when the seed is sown, the imperishable seed of the gospel, and then we rise up and worship, it just becomes natural. It becomes a, it becomes a result of what you're doing on the inside. We thank you, and I just pray that even as we're going to spend just another minute or two in, in worship right now, meet us. Meet us, Lord. Meet us. Bring heaven to earth so that those who need you, all of us, but especially those who need to know you're real today, would hear your voice and experience your presence. In Jesus' name. Sing.